We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friend. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day and allowing Empower to um, hopefully uplift and support you. You know, it can be easy to take the I-ness of who we are for granted. But what I've learned is that each of us is a complex ecosystem. Every single one of us has diverse elements in our personality and, in fact, maybe even different aspects and personalities. Years ago, I was introduced to this concept, and it began to make a big difference in my sense of self and my reality. I started to become familiar with my own personal ecosystem, and life became a lot more clear and a lot more fun. What I now know is that all of us have many facets. For me, I'm a teacher and a student. I'm a whimsical, glitter-loving little girl, an artist, sometimes an extrovert, sometimes an introvert, a spiritual seeker, and an equestrian. It has been said, and I believe it's true, we're all more like an orchestra than a soloist. So my question for you is, do you know yourselves? If not, my guest today is going to help you open your mind to this important concept. And if you are, I'm excited to journey deeper with you into this realm of knowing yourself more clearly, understanding yourself more completely, and appreciating yourself more authentically. Or perhaps I should say yourselves. I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to have expert, an expert on this matter here to inform, educate, enlighten, enlighten and empower us. We are here with Jordan Gruber, who co-authored the book, Your Symphony of Selves, with Dr. James Fadiman. Jordan is a writer, collaborative writer, ghostwriter, and editor. He has forged and sculpted authoritative volumes in forensic law, financial services, and self-development. Jordan is a graduate of Bingham University and the University of Virginia School of Law. He also founded Enlightenment.com and is a leading advocate of rebound exercise through the Superbound Project. So, Jordan, thank you for saying yes to this conversation here with us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Tammy. I always enjoy speaking about the book with anyone. And with someone like you, you already seem to have a pretty good idea and have figured a lot of this out for yourself or yourselves a long time ago. <laughs> and boy, did it make a difference in my reality in a really positive and empowering way. So I just want to start at the beginning here. I love the title of your book, and I think it it, it is a wonderful umbrella to have this conversation under. Your Symphony of Selves. So tell me why you chose this title and what it really means when you boil it all down. Well, you know, we love the title, and the title was, in fact, one of those things where I sat in a lazy boy chair for hours with my laptop in my lap and napping in and out until I, the final title uh, came to me. But in truth, the, the title's not that important. The word selves, S-E-L-V-E-S, isn't that important. There's a lot of other words that people already use to talk about what we're talking about. A lot of people talk about parts, which is why uh, parts coaching and parts work is very big in the business world especially out here in Silicon Valley. Back in the 1980s, uh, people came up with the word alters in terms of uh, uh, pathological cases of multiplicity. Uh, in a book in 1980 called uh, The People We Are by John Rowan, a British fellow, 
um, starts out by listing 25 different words that he had found. And then in our book, we're up to around 70 words. Mm -hmm. So the concept is exactly as you said earlier. It's that when you know that you really do have these different parts or selves and that they are real, that they have their own innate value, that you can't just get rid of them or fuse them away without causing great damage to yourself, and it might not work at all, and that they have their own agendas, um, even what sometimes is is called uh, their own entelechy, with the entelechy of an oak Mm. to become an an acorn to become an oak. When you see how different selves are in you and in other people, and you really get that we're not just talking about moods or influences like these are really the different patterns of behavior and neurochemistry and intention that I go through on a regular basis. When you know that you have selves and everyone else in your life has always had different selves also, it gets it gets easier. Life makes more sense. A lot of things go smoother and you have a lot more options in terms of deciding ahead of time that you're going to work towards shifting into a particular self or away from one rather than being switched or triggered and get into a terrible fight with someone who you love, who is also in the part of them that always, you know, gets in that bad part. And then you guys fight. It's like, if you see that coming and you know that this is a real thing, you can walk away from the part of you that wants to pick up the reins because it's going to create havoc. That's a huge sign of maturity and it makes life a lot easier. You are so right. You know, I was introduced to this years ago and and we were um, it was taught under the umbrella of like sub personalities. Many of us have different. All of us have different sub personalities. And once I started to Mm -hmm. tap into my sub personalities and understand this, then I could um, more clearly see when someone I was having a conversation with was in a different um, frame of being. And so for my relationship with my husband these days, when he's in quote unquote, the warrior mode, I know that's not the time for me to be, um, you know, conversational and lighthearted. I need to allow him to be where he's at. I have that awareness. So it makes our relationship work so much better. It's like, oh, he, okay. That's the hat he has on right now, whether he knows it or not. I do. So I know how to be in relationship with him or give him his space. (laughs) Very helpful. You can be more compassionate towards him knowing yeah. that he might be in one of the parts of him that kind of annoys you or that you, thought you had an agreement that such and such wasn't going to happen. And there he's doing it again, but that's because he's really in a different part of who he is. Now, yeah. it might be helpful if he was even more cohesive, so you didn't have to have that discussion. But if you know it's true, then you can do a whole lot. So true. So true. So I think the most important thing we can do is to know ourselves or ourselves. And so, um, Jordan, I'd love to hear from you. How can people start to open to this within themselves? Are there questions we can ask or how do you go about introducing people to the different aspects of themselves? Sure. Well, in, in the beginning of the book, uh, we have a set of questions, which are things like, have you ever argued with yourself? Who was arguing? Who are you arguing with? You know, when you have to make that decision to eat that last piece of cake or not, how is that going back and forth? Now, who is making that? So basically, in, in some ways, this book is a sort of a tour de force. Because if we're wrong, if we're right that the assumption that you have a single self is an error, a flat-out error, you would likely see the idea of healthy selves 
popping up everywhere in language and culture and philosophy and religion and neuroscience and postmodernism. And in fact, you do. And that's exactly what the book takes us through. So, you know, a lot of people are vaguely aware of these ideas, but at the end of the day, they want to sort of turn towards a single super self to make everything okay, or they want to say, well, these are just moods. Everyone has different moods. It's no big deal. And uh, we're just sort of asking people to get used to the idea that they've really moved into a different part of who they are. And and when you do that, you know, see see how that works better for you. Like when I was writing years ago, I realized that if I don't, you know, give the writer part of me coffee and let him stretch and work out and take a nap. He doesn't write as well. That's just Mm -hmm. the way I'm built. So you start to see sort of selves everywhere in your life once you start looking for them because they're really there. The reason very few people really seriously look to see if they have different selves is because of this assumption that we, and especially Jim identified, and we like to call it the single self assumption, which is that that you are or ought to be a single self. We say if you question that single self assumption, you will see so much evidence in yourself and in everybody else and their selves that very quickly you realize that it's not all that different than uh, when they put the Earth rather than the sun at the center of the solar system, uh, you know, a, a thousand years ago or 900 years ago, whenever it was. And they finally had so much data that said it's, it, it can't work. And then they finally put, um, you know, the, the sun in the middle and it worked. Well, we're sort of saying a similar thing that when you finally see that you and everybody else have selves, lots of questions that never made sense, all of a sudden things are clear. So uh, let me give you an example. Um, One of the very best and possibly most effective ways for treating people with serious alcohol addiction problems is Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, the reason Alcoholics Anonymous works so well is that when you come into a meeting, the first thing you say is, my name is Jordan Gruber and I'm an alcoholic. You bring the part of you that actually has the problem into the room where it can be witnessed by other people and where you can be supported. If you go to a therapist and your husband or wife has sent you there, a partner, and you don't really want to be there, the part of you that's not the problem might not show up for many sessions. Hmm. And that's just one example. Now that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, and I think I, I love the wisdom, know thyself, and also become really whole. But we have to, in order to become whole, I think, become aware of the different pieces of the puzzle so that we can become whole. And my sense is maybe we do have a higher self or a soul self that is our, maybe it's our primary self, but it's important to know about our different aspects. A friend of mine years ago came up with a theory of therapy called the kayak theory. Like all of us have a bunch of different people in a kayak. And if we're not aware of that, we're just kind of spinning in circles, making a mess in the water and not really getting anywhere. And that was certainly my experience in retrospect. But once I became aware of the different aspects in the kayak, it's like we started to be able to work as a team. And boy, does life make more sense. And it, it is a, it's so much more fun and we're so much more productive and prosperous because we're working together in a cohesive fashion. Does that kind of is that kind of what you're talking about and teaching about? Does that make well, sense? 
Partly, yes. I mean, there's no question that figuring out how to work as a team or a symphony or a flock, I mean, we have dozens and dozens of examples from everything from Navy SEALs to nature to system science. There's a really lovely systems science overlay. And so figuring out how to work internally as a team obviously isn't going to happen until you really take seriously the fact that you are a team. So that is the first step. But... I think that's where we may part with you and a lot of people a little bit is that um, when you said, you know, you, your, uh, your feeling is that you still have one ultimate single spiritual self. What we're saying is that we don't have enough evidence for that. That's, that's beyond our pay grade. And that's not the level where most people can gain the most from this kind of an idea. We find that <clears throat> a lot of times people end up moving away from kind of figuring out how to feel into and work with their selves and realize that the selves are other people up by uh, wanting to have a, a high self or a spiritual self or what in the book someone calls a super self captain. But uh, one of the things that uh, Jim likes to do when people say, well, I have this high self, I'll say, well, you know, what's your high self's favorite restaurant? It's if you have a high self, and if I do, I mean, and certainly we talk about cultivating presence and moving to center. So we're not against any of that, but we're just saying that yourselves that you kind of move in and out of that, that are sort of upfront and uh, in effect driving you or you're driving them or theirs, what presenting to other people, those selves that we're talking about and working with here are very similar to what William James in the 1890s identified as social selves. And those selves aren't a higher self or a spiritual right. self or, right. you know, uh, Jung's uh, self with a capital S. Or, you know, if you look at a lot of the great systems that are out there, they start out working with selves. Uh, this includes internal family systems and uh, psychosynthesis and uh, just quite a few. But in the end, they say, so now that we know we have these parts, we have to somehow forge a single self to, you know, rule them all, like from Lord of the Rings. Uh, your chief was very clear that that's what you needed to do. And we're going, maybe, there may be a few people who have accomplished that in, you know, the history of the world, but <clears throat> for most people, it's actually a distraction. For most people, there's so much work to do with just figuring out your ordinary day-to-day -day selves and working with them that, you know, maybe that's really the task for the second half of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm very clear about my primary subpersonalities and how, you know, we work as a team and it's it's um, joyful. It's like different aspects in the driver's seat at different times, like Barbie's going out tonight, so we're going to glam it up. Or my inner child is wanting to go to the barn and play with the horses or my I have a, a nun and uh, she likes to be um, introspective and quiet and have a spiritual conversation sometimes. So it's 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 so incredibly helpful to be aware of these different aspects. Like my artist really right. needs to express. She needs to go into the art room and create. So it's it's, it's so helpful. It's so helpful. Who's in the driver's seat? Whose needs need to be met right now? And how can we work together to support everybody? Right. And one of the things is what when you let a supposedly bad self out, to have a little bit of airtime, they're usually so grateful that they just do what they do and they're happy. So, I mean, you know, people are afraid of, you know, they've got demonic selves, addicted selves, this and that, and that somehow opening this up will, you know, give them permission to have the worst parts of them express themselves. And we're going, you know, we say you might have 
um, one or more mentally ill cells that do actually need to be treated. But the distinction is the fact that you have cells at all and that this is where we, how we live, that in and of itself is not an act of mental pathology. When you switch to a more appropriate self on purpose, that's certainly not an act of um, mental pathology. So it's, a, it's an interesting balance. Well, and this is interesting. I like going into this with you um, because I had a self that was really frustrated and annoyed. And I thought, well, I don't want that part to have expression. But once I integrated and allowed and had conversations, there was a healthier expression. There was other right, exactly. intentions and motivations beneath that. She was just behaving badly because she wasn't getting her time in the driver's seat or the ability to express in our lives. Right. One person called it the difference between having a bad dog and being a bad dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might have a self that's a bad dog some of the time, so you've got to learn to work with it. In the book, uh, we go through an example of a letter that Jim had with a person who had a pretty severe porno addiction. And most of the letter is about getting the guy off of berating and hating that part of himself. Because that's not, instead, he had to find a way to say, you know, how about, you know, one hour, three times a week and not 12 hours a day? Let's make a deal, you know? Uh, And the the idea that you can just get rid of a self that does bad things, it it doesn't work like that. They tried that, it almost never worked. And um, I mean, you talked about this a lot too. Uh, Quite a few people, it's like, you know, taking an inflated ball and putting it under the water in a pool, Mm -hmm. it's going to pop up. If you have that kind of energy, and if you really are, if you have a serious problem that when you're in one of your cells, then you should obviously get treatment for that part of you. Yes, and and I've had conversations with the different aspects. What is your deeper intention? And would you like a promotion? And they're like, hmm, what could that look like? You know, and it's um, really created a dynamic where the bad dog wasn't a bad dog. It was just behaving badly. And then it had a new job and it's like much happier and we are much right. more congruent. And, and again, it feels like we're all kind of like in the kayak moving the right to direction and direction of positive and prosperous and joy filled direction in our lives. Right. And I love that idea of giving a self that doesn't know what to do a new job that's that's better. Yes. And I have a hypervigilant self that was freaking out about when our cats went out at night and not, it's like, no, how about we just kind of settle it down and give it other things to do? And it was a lot happier. So, yes. it's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, this uh, I said this isn't a new idea. When, when we were done, uh, Jim Fadiman wrote a reader's note at the beginning and said, the really interesting thing is I'm now aware that we're just trying to return psychology to where it was in the 1890s in America and in France to some degree. And, uh, you know, so it's not really a new idea, but it's an idea that has been so buried that you kind of see it sneaking in and out of a lot of places, but then it kind of vanishes and nobody ever talks about it. So we're trying to change that conversation. Yeah. So yeah, when I work with clients and introduce them to this, they're like, oh my God, I feel schizophrenic. I said, you know what? We all are. (laughs) It's just a matter of our awareness of it and dealing with it in a really positive, healthy way. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Well, so schizophrenic is an interesting word. We don't like to use... uh, pathological labels too often, uh, but we do go through uh, the, the point of distinguishing schizophrenia from what used to be called multiple personality disorder and is now called dissociative identity disorder. Schizophrenia is sort of more like a general 
systems meltdown where everything mm-hmm. starts going wrong and people do hear disembodied voices and that's a whole different you know level that's if, if that's going on that's very different than someone just having a set of personalities one or two of which like to act out so we try to be careful because what happened is people you like to use words like uh, bipolar and schizophrenia and a lot of dissociation and all we're saying is let's you know let's really slow it all down if we go back to the root of psychology and it turns out that the idea that we're just one self is wrong and we replace that with a healthy self's worldview, then a lot of things change. It changes that to move from one frame of mind to another is mm-hmm. a bad thing. No, it's, it's a really good thing. It and it good. opens up so many possibilities in how you can you know, really just be happier and, and more effective in your own life. It lets you you know, understand things. It's uh, it's like I had a spiritual teacher who died a few months ago. It was a guy named Bill Eichmann, and I was visiting his home. We were in our, I was in my late 20s, he was a little older, and I said, yeah, I'm going to wake up every morning at 6.30 from now on and meditate for half an hour, no matter what. And he just looked at me and smiled and shook his head and said, the part of you that's saying that is not the part that's going to wake up. You have to know <laughs> that you can't get this part to wake up in the morning day after day. It's impossible. It will never happen. And of course he was right. So, you know, you have to be realistic and you have to learn sometimes how to actually create new and more effective cells. So we, we go a lot into where different cells might come from, everything from biology and anatomy to split brain to the way language works, to the way you take language in. And, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that if you look at all of the books out there on multiplicity, including, you know, internal family systems and psychosynthesis and all the books that have been written, they only talk about a new self being caused when usually someone is very young and under some sort of uh, physical stress or sexual trauma or something like that is going on. Now it's a breakthrough in the 70s and the 80s when people realized that what they then called dissociation was not a pathological thing, but it was a, an evolutionarily adaptive way that someone could stay sane. And so that became a more positive way of seeing what was that multiple personality disorder. But what mm-hmm. we're saying is that because of the assumption being so wrong, no one ever thought about the fact that you create positive selves too sometimes different times in your life, and you can even intentionally create one. So as an example, we were in uh, Port Charles, Virginia, which is on the Chesapeake. Uh, We were stuck there for a vacation. It was warm. It was about three feet of water, and I was on a a big inner tube, and I spent two or three hours just kind of lolling about in the Chesapeake, and it brought me back to the part of me that was about four years old that did that mm-hmm. on Atlantic Beach in Long Island, where I went to the beach every day, six days out of seven, summer. I have a totally lizard-like ocean-lolling self that was sort of mm-hmm. born there. And then I had a bike accident five or six years ago. You know, when your head, heels go over your head, you pay attention. I didn't get back on for a couple of years, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I've been riding bikes since I was five, and I love it. And I went out and got a new bike to fit me better, and the moment I got on, I was right back in my five-year-old self. I was mm-hmm. so good, so happy to be back on a bike and riding. And it was just, it was so great. That's a positive self. We have positive selves that, that come into being throughout the course of our lives, depending on interactions with other people and things that are going on with us. And it's not just a negative thing that happens to people. 
Right. No, I totally agree with you. My inner child is such an important part of my life these days. And she was someone that I had ignored and cut out and didn't want anything to do with. And now um, there's so much joy because she's the one that has brought me back to horses, which has brought me yeah. the greatest joy. And um, she gets to choose a lot of what goes on in my life. She's very integrated. She likes purple. She likes glitter. And she makes my life fulfilling and joyful and satisfying. And that wonder and that magic and that creativity from my childhood is back full force. And I couldn't be well, maybe I could be right. happier, but I'm so much happier than I've been since I, since I was a child, maybe well, even as a child. You know, what's really vital about this is it gives all of us a way to literally, physically, actually become younger. There's yes. a book by Ellen Langer called Counterclockwise, which on the National Book Award. She talks about a group of older gentlemen who went to uh, camp where they only played uh, TV shows and magazines and music from when they were uh, like 17 from 1959 or whenever it was. And, you know, they hung out with each other for a month and they had picked a set of physical measures to measure before and after. And needless to say, by the t at the end of this time, these guys were playing touch football with each other and cooking <laughs> meals. They went from sedentary and completely out of it to being much younger. And what I've discovered in, in my own life is like... Um, I, I was taught a set of martial arts warm-ups by a guy who later became the U.S. Olympic coach and been practicing these since I was 20. I do it three or four times a week. It takes five or ten minutes. When I do those kicks, and I'm doing crescent kicks and front-rising kicks over my head at age 60, the younger part of me definitely gets engaged. Most yes. of me doesn't have hips that can do that, but that part of me does. And if I just step into it and do those, all of a sudden, I'm literally in that younger, more energized, more potent version of who I am. Yes, I think that that's true. And I love that you are opening our minds and hearts to these possibilities and realities if we want them for ourselves. So, Jordan, we just have a just a few little seconds here left. I want you to tell people where they can get a hold of you or get a copy of this book, Your Symphony of Self, Discover and Understand More of Who We Are. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, so the book is on Amazon, of course, or you can go to Inner Traditions, or you can go to my website and download a free chapter. It's going to be jordangruber.com slash your hyphen symphony hyphen of hyphen selves. But uh, if you look up Fadiman and Gruber and Symphony and Selves, it will, you know, at this point, it will pop up everywhere. We have a very active uh, Facebook presence. Um, the part of me that's slightly addicted to pay-to-pay -to -pay Facebook advertising is having a great time. You spend $28, you know, 2,800 uh, pennies and read something like 6,000 minds. Even if it's ephemeral and doesn't add up to book sales, it's a lot of fun. So I think, you know, this book is, uh, people are interested. They want, it, it's such a simple idea and a lot of people know it. People just want permission to be all of who they are. I love it. And I'm so glad you said yes yourselves said yes to a second conversation with me next week. So we're going to get to continue the conversation, go a little deeper, a little higher, a little broader and have a lot more fun. So to my guests, listeners, friends, thank you for allowing uh, Jordan and me to be a part of your day. And we hope you connect with us again next weekend. So sending you blessings. Well, of thank grace. you, Tammy. It was really, it was really thank great. You. I really appreciate your energy so fun. and your insight. Yes, it's yes. so fun. And we're going to play some more. So uh, connect with us again and we'll continue the celebration. Onward and upward. Bye for now.